0: Welcome to Parent to Parent, real-life tips to raise resilient kids. A podcast from Communities That Care of Greater Downingtown. This is Chrissy Jambowski, and I have two young kids. And I'm Bethann Sonelli and I have two adult kids. Together, we'll meet with experts and fellow parents to share personal stories and provide support and actionable steps to strengthen your family and raise healthy kids. We're
1: glad you're here. Let's get started.
0: Welcome to Parent to Parent, this is Chrissy, and today I am actually hosting by myself. However, there will be no lack of energy and important, exciting things to share with you all because today I'm here with our guest, Josh Ercol, who is the Executive Director at the Council for Compulsive Gambling of Pennsylvania. And we are gonna be talking about gaming, as in video gaming, and gambling, and how these two behaviors are related um and why it's important to kind of have it on your radar and we'll be sharing with you all how gambling and gaming are linked to so many other risk-taking behaviors more than parents realize so josh welcome
1: thank you chrissy i'm really glad to be here thanks for that that really warm welcome that's uh awesome and I'm, i'm so glad to uh to have the chance to speak with everybody today yeah
0: and so just to kind of set us up you know and why we feel it's important to talk about this topic Um, In Pennsylvania, you have to be 18 to purchase a lottery ticket and you have to be 21 to enter a casino, but we do know that youth are gambling and we know that this behavior is linked with drug and alcohol use, with missing school and lower grades and other risk taking behaviors. So just to localize it a little bit, in Downingtown for our Pennsylvania Youth Survey or PAYS uh, 2019 data, it showed that about 37% of students overall in grades 6 to 12 reported gambling at least once in their lifetime. And among 12th graders, just over 10% had gambled in the past 30 days. And of those uh, students, 5.5% felt the need to bet more and more money. So again, that that's where you start to kind of look for a red flag and wonder what that is, that feeling like you have to bet more and more. Um, So Josh, I know you're gonna also talk about the connection and overlap of gaming and gambling, but probably a good place for us to start would be to tell us what is a gambling disorder or when we think about problem gambling, what is that and what does that look like?
1: Sure, yeah, that's, that's a really great question and a great place to start. Uh, obviously, there's a lot of gambling um, that's being taken, that's, that's being um, participated in. There's a lot of gambling that's available around the, the state and around the country. You mentioned a couple of things with lottery and, and with casino gambling, but there's so many other types of activities that really fall into that, that category. Um, and and you know, I think that's probably even a better place to start just to, to actually have that discussion. And it's something that I think we'll do over the, the course of the this show today is just talk about the, the idea of gambling, what it is, what it means to folks, what types of activities could be considered gambling, because, you know, everybody thinks obviously, yeah, the, the casino, that's a, that's an easy one, horse racing, sports betting, gambling, you kind of put two and two together with that. But there's so many other activities that really have those elements of chance and elements of risk involved with them. And, and we can talk a little bit more about them, but you know, what, what we find is that as somebody begins to gamble, You know, they're going to go in one of several different ways. And, you know, sometimes they might win. Sometimes they might start off by losing. In most cases, somebody who starts off by losing isn't going to continue. But we do see a lot of folks that maybe enjoy it. There's some level of excitement. There's a level of entertainment. And that's really the idea is that, you know, this is something that's fun. And and most people treat it that way. Most people are able to have fun with it and enjoy it. Fortunately for some, things at some point take a turn. And what I mean by that is they start to kind of go through this, this progression. And what we often see, this progression follows this, this uh, somewhat predictable uh, series of events where there's either some level of enjoyment, there's some series of wins, there's a big win, there's some type of elevated excitement that ultimately leads to basically you know, a feeling of that was fun, that was great, I want to do it again. Mm-hmm. And then unfortunately, at some point, we, we start to see a habit forming and you know this is obviously something that happens through continued participation and you know maybe an elevated level of frequency and at some point, things start to turn south, and that's that's uh, often represented by losses, uh, strings of losses, series of losses, fi- significant losses. Um, and and by losses, you know, obviously, I'm I'm referring to um, you know things like money or items of value. Mm-hmm. But what often accompanies these losses are feelings of desperation and, and situations where people might try to start winning back some of the things that they lost, and and that's where we really see this entry into this cycle that we're mm. often you know exposed to when we talk about gambling problems and then to take it a step further it just sort of perpetuates itself so you know when when you look at, at gambling problems or gambling disorder as you mentioned that's the the clinical term for you know the diagnosable situation and you know it's it's important to recognize chrissy this isn't this isn't a one-size-fits-all situation mm. you know it's not like you eat have this gambling problem or gambling disorder or you don't it's it's something that happens on a continuum so you know if you look at i I always talk about um you know like kind of like looking at it like an ice cream cone or, or maybe a diamond shaped, you know, at the, at the wide part, at the top, that's where you have most people, most people are gambling responsibly or reasonably or or socially or whatever the terminology that you want to use is. And that that responsible term, that's something that's kind of a, an industry term that you hear a lot right yes. now. And, and that's uh, basically a situation where by sticking to limits with the amount of time and money, the goal is preventing problems from starting. Mm-hmm. Obviously yeah. not everybody's able to do that. So, You know, a lot of times this is referred to this, this, you know, gambling for fun, but that ice cream cone, and I'm talking about like the sugar cone, the the V shape one, like, Mm -hmm. you know, as it goes down towards the tip at the bottom, you know, that's where we start to see problems start. So maybe like, you know, a quarter of the way down a bite or two down that ice cream cone, you start to see people maybe displaying risky behaviors. So maybe, um, you know going to a casino on a friday night and spending you know several hundred dollars more or spending several hours longer than you originally intended that could be a, a sign that there's maybe some element of risk there maybe things escalate a little bit. And that's where, you know, further down, we start to see those problems develop. This is where you're starting to maybe put other, um, you know, other parts of your life second to gambling. You're maybe uh, having relationship issues, any number of different problems that could, uh, could develop. But then all the way down at the tip, that's where we see that small percentage of the population that struggles from what you referred to as gambling disorder. And that's actually something that is a diagnosable condition that's outlined in the DSM And what's really interesting in the DSM five, this is the diagnostic and statistical manual that's um, made available by the American Psychiatric Association. What this does is it it validates gambling disorder as a very, very significant situation. And what's really interesting is as the DSM five was released, gambling disorder was actually moved from the category it used to be in, which is referred to as impulse control disorder moved into the substance use and other re- related addictions disorder um category. So now gambling disorder, a behavioral addiction, obviously you're not ingesting, well there, that might be a separate situation, but there's nothing being ingested or smoked or swallowed or injected or anything right. with, with regard to the gambling, but it's seen based on what happens with brain chemistry and how the activity is interpreted by the individual, yeah. it's seen almost identical to other substance related addictions. So it's a, diagnose, uh, a diagnosable um, situation. There are criteria that, that are required to be met in order to receive that diagnosis. And it's interesting when you see some of the, the criteria because it really does mirror what we see with a lot of other types of substance-related situations.
0: That's what I was just about to say. Everything that you said is, is as a person who's been a health educator in drug and alcohol prevention about substance use disorder for you know, almost 15 years now. And the way that I used to explain it, and it sounds the exact same way, when you think about substance use disorder and someone being in a dependent relationship with a substance, and in this case with a behavior, that thing becomes the love of your life. It's there for you when you're happy. It's there for you when you're sad. You celebrate with it. It helps you when you're stressed out. And everything else kind of falls by the wayside because you prioritize that love of your life, whether that's alcohol, marijuana, in this case, gambling. And so it was interesting as you're saying all of that, I was like, this sounds like substance use disorder. And so that's, I didn't know that they had reclassified it. So it was in the same category now. Um, And just something else that that was an aside that I've never heard anybody say this before was that you said the word responsible use, how they put a disclaimer on everything. And like, we always see that on commercials for alcohol um, or in ads and things like, please drink, please drink responsibly. I've never really thought about how it's interesting how if the industry has to tell people to use their product responsibly, what does that say about the product? It's just it, it's something that I never really thought in that frame of mind, I guess.
1: It is, you know, and I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously an approach, um, you know, it, it, with an activity like this, and this is, this is really the important part and, and pretty much what I would consider to be kind of the umbrella focus of of today's topic and, and conversation that we're going to have yeah. is it gambling in and of itself it, it's a it's a activity it's a thing right it's not it's not good it's not bad it's just it's there and some people are going to buy a lottery ticket some people are going to go to a casino they're going to have a wonderful time they might win they might lose they're going to have fun yep and
0: then
1: they're going to go home right. and they're going to going about their daily business, right? You know, right. it's not going to have a negative impact. It's for the folks that are struggling that aren't able to do that. That's where the concern is. And and that's that's really, you know, when you have an activity like this that does have, I mean, obvious clear elements of risk associated with it. You know, there's there's patterns that form, there's the the chance of losing, uh, you know, financial uh, yeah. situations, there's, there's obviously health concerns, there's a whole host of different types of things that could possibly go wrong. Um, you know, that, that approach that that keeping things in a responsible level, that's that's kind of like the ideal, right? right? So if we can put out a message and say, okay, stick to limits, set a limit with how much time, set a limit with how much money, mm-hmm. don't gamble on credit, you know, ha- diversify your interests in life, that would be wonderful. The fact of the matter is, though, there is a small percentage of the population that's not able to do that. Right. And, and that's the concern. So, you know, that number of people out there As we continue to see more and more availability, uh, more and more participation, you know, obviously the likelihood is that with with, with an increased participation in anything, we're going to see an increase in problems, Right. right? So that's where that education piece comes into play. And by making folks aware that this is an activity that has risks associated with it you know, and and obviously talking to teens and adolescents and kids even younger than than teenagers, this is where it's important is not to hide it, not to ignore it, not to assume that, you know, it's, it's a problem. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, if, if uh, you know, if a child participates or is exposed to one gambling activity or gambling uh, type activity that they're doomed, that, right. you know, everything's going to unravel. But what it's doing is it's setting a tone and and it's going to normalize a situation that without that education piece, it's just a missed opportunity.
0: So, Josh, what does the research show specifically for kids and these different gambling behaviors?
1: Yeah, great question. So I mentioned, I think I just mentioned a moment ago, um, you know, when I was talking about like percentages, you know, a small percentage of the population struggles with, with gambling. And there, there's a lot of research and a lot of data that's been done. And, you know, what we find is, you know, with regard to that really, really significant, um, you know, type of problem, that usually falls in we see a lot of research that suggests one to three percent of the adult population in the united states is struggling with with a severe gambling problem and then if you kind of broaden that out to look at maybe um at risk situations where folks are doing it kind of like i talked about um maybe a little bit more than they should or problems are certainly um prevalent but you know when you look at that one to three percent that's a significant number of people right Mm. that's somewhere in the neighborhood of five and a half million people across the country and here are Pennsylvania that would be somewhere around 300,000 that could be struggling so that's a concern well with kids most of the data that we find it it, it's typically higher than that oh it's you know two to three times higher than that which is very eye-opening you just said it you just said oh and a lot of people do say that that's the response that we do get because how are they doing it you just mentioned a moment ago 18 to buy lottery tickets right 21 to get into casinos there's not a whole lot of gambling Legal gambling mm-hmm. that kids can access, or at least should be accessing, I guess I should say. So, how are they doing it, and why are they doing it? And that's that's really kind of like the big question: is what is the draw? What are they seeing? Like you mentioned, you know, with with the the um, the pays data. In in, in uh, Downingtown School District, you've got twelfth graders who are gambling at a very high frequency. Um, they're gambling; they've gambled, you know, very high numbers in terms of lifetime and past thirty day percentages. But then you also mentioned um, you also mentioned the the the, the concerning figure there, uh, which is the need to bet more and more. And that Downingtown number that was five and a half percent for twelfth graders. I think the number is even higher if you look at statewide numbers it's it's up in the six and a half range um, for for 12th graders that is actually a two-part question that's used by clinicians around the country it's called the lie bet and it's based on two questions that i know it's going to be shocking it's about lying and the need to bet more and more so that that question of have you ever need to bet more and more uh and have you ever lied to anybody important to you about gambling you know what we find in the pays is typically these numbers are pretty significant and they do fall at least in the national range of of, uh, research findings of at least adults. But typically we do see it kind of escalate a little bit higher. So, you know, four or five, 6% of the population of younger adults, of teenagers, adolescents typically are at least displaying problematic gambling behavior at some level. And, you know, a lot of that has to do with the fact that, you know, there's early exposure, there's early involvement, kids might not be going into casinos, but they're gambling with each other. Mm. They're creating their own games, they're logging in under other accounts, they're doing things that can obviously um, still access that type of activity. And for some, as they begin to develop the problems, it can really escalate into a a significant issue.
0: And I would think similar to substances, again, it's that young child and also adolescent brain is still developing. So anytime you introduce something that has the ability to light up the reward pathways, which correct me if I'm wrong, gambling behaviors do and that's probably why it was reclassified in the DSM-5 as the same as substances. Exactly. And it, just as you said, you don't know, you know, out of, and I don't know what the statistic is maybe you do for the number of kids, you know, like one out of however many, you know, that they gamble and they're able to walk away. And then you just, it's a crapshoot. You don't know if you take a substance or if you gamble, your reward pathways light up and go, whoo, this is fun. This feels good. I wanna do this again. So it's just, you really don't know, as with any risk taking behavior, but the likelihood of that happening is higher because their brain is still developing.
1: Yeah. And, you know, that's, uh, that's the interesting part of it is pretty much when anybody sits down and, and does something, you know, there's been research, really, really interesting research that's been done that shows that if somebody with a gambling problem is sitting next to somebody who doesn't have a gambling problem and they're engaged in the same type of game, there's a lot of responses that come out of each of their mouths that are very, very similar. So folks that are, you know, struggling and folks that aren't struggling, when they're engaged in gambling activities, a lot of times the feelings and, you know, the, the, the pathways, the reward systems, they're, they're all lighting up the same way. Mm. There's that level of excitement. There's that, that level of, you know, of increased hope and, and anticipation. Mm-hmm. The difference is when the person who's not struggling gets up and walks away from the table or the machine or whatever the case is, they kind of go back to a, a, a way of thinking where there's not that level of compulsion. Whereas the person who is struggling a lot of times that's where you feel that 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 fixation on winning back what was lost or I have to keep doing that I, I need to keep that that feeling of action alive. So, you know, it's 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 interesting to see, you know, is that as you participate. It's, it's going to be based solely on again like you like you mentioned you know how the brain is going to be activated how the neurotransmitters are going to react from each other how the dopamine is going to impact um or or you know either in a positive or negative way uh, their decision making um obviously like you just talked about you know kids until they're I, i've seen different numbers 23 24 25 in some cases until that that prefrontal cortex is fully developed you know that's that all gas pedal and no brake situation. So without having that, the comprehensive understanding of the activity of how to prevent situations from happening, they're not necessarily going to be thinking about you know, what happens three, four days from now after this initial session? What happens three, four months from now after I start participating in this? Are things going to escalate to a point? And, and that's really where the concern is. So, you know, that's where we stress the the importance of having, um, having an understanding of yourself as a parent, as a educator, as a, somebody that might uh, be somebody who's having conversations with kids, and then talking to them about it. You know, talking to them about the risks, talking to them about um, some of the ways to protect themselves from getting into situations that they might not see coming. Because obviously, you know, what we find is that just like other exposure to substances and other types of, of situations, that early exposure to gambling. Again, first of all, what it does is it normalizes the behavior it normalizes the activity. And then at some point, it leads to some type of introduction to it. And and that's the concern is that if they're going into that type of activity before that the, 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 the fully developed brain is in place and they're going into it with no protections that ultimately that could result in, in a negative situation.
0: And that kind of leads to our next question, which is this normalization of it. So, and we've talked about that in other episodes, as far as substances go, like you don't realize how much, you know, take alcohol, for example, it's, you know, put in movies and media and kind of surrounding you at all times until you start to look for it and then you see it everywhere. And so I, can you talk about how gambling or gambling behaviors are probably around us all the time, but we don't realize it actually counts as gambling or would be classified as a gambling activity?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it truly is. Um, you know, virtually every aspect of life has some element of, of risk and element of gambling in, in involved. And you know, obviously you can, you can, you know, point out the, the obvious ones, there's casinos, there's, um, lottery tickets, there's, you know, the, the Gus, the groundhog commercials, there's the sports betting commercials that you see, um, that have obviously, you know, really, really increased dramatically over the past year or two. Um, as, as we've gotten more and more sports, uh, sports betting operators and online casino operators, but, you know, taking it a step beyond that, obviously there's a lot of other, uh, gambling, Exposure that somebody's going to go through on a daily basis. Um, you know, some of it's very, very uh, cut and dry, very clear cut. But when you look at the actual components of, of gambling, what is gambling? So you know, if you look at uh, any type of activity where there's a chance of winning or losing the amount that you put up, uh, whether it be money or, or um, you know, some other stake, like an item of value, if there's a chance to win something off of the outcome of that, that element of chance or uh, a chance of losing what, what you put up as, as your stake, That that kind of falls under that umbrella category of gambling. So, you know, you put a quarter into a slot machine or you have, uh, you know, a a place, a chip on a table. If the outcome isn't what, if it's not in favor of you, you're going to lose that amount. And if it is in favor of you, then obviously you would win. Well, same goes with a whole host of other types of activities. Obviously, different types of um, fundraising events kind of fall under that same category. And again, not to say that fundraising events are bad or that anybody that participates is, is doing something wrong. Not at all. But what it's doing, again, is exposing individuals to different types of activities where there's that element of risk involved. And as you start to see more and more of those, being participated in, it just opened the door for that next level. So, you know, 50 50 raffle tickets, baskets of cheer, that type of thing. You know, at, at their core, they really have that same element of, of risk, they have that same element of chance involved. And for someone who may be uh, in a position where they could start struggling not having an understanding that that is something that has risks, that there's, um, you know, the potential for other types of activities to maybe have a, a greater impact. That's where we see, you know, situations that that we feel are concerning. You know, and another one, and you know, I do, I, when I talk about raffle tickets and baskets of cheer, obviously I, I do, um, I get my fair share of rolled eyes, you know, and, and that type of thing. And, and again, it's not a situation where I'm saying it's something that shouldn't be participated in. Um, it's simply, an activity. And you know, there's there's activities that you're going to see in in everyday life that, that mimic gambling or have elements of gambling, but it's the ones that are really, really kind of I don't want to say geared towards, but certainly involve kids that that I think are, are the 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 concern and again the opportunity um another one is you know uh, very very similar to to other elements of gambling would be you know the the restaurants like like dave and busters or chuck e cheese or any type of carnival games where there's a a a game that's being played that costs money to participate in and as a result of how well you do in that game Mm -hmm. or how you do based on the the element of chance that's involved in it that you have the opportunity to win tickets which you can then turn in for prizes you know, on on paper, it 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 sounds very similar to what we see with other types of of legalized gambling. So, you know, very similar to casinos. Mm-hmm. Somebody who goes to a casino, they're going to put money in, and based on their level of skill combined with the level of luck combined with the elements of chance that are involved, the outcome is going to determine one of two things, right? Same thing goes with activities like that. And then, you know, obviously, there's a whole other element of just exposure to the the less regulated types of gambling that we see so you know coming up the super bowl pool um you know coming up with uh, march madness and obviously you know all the elements that are involved in in that i mean these are highly highly participated in activities that are often done by friends that are organized by kids in, in some cases and we hear situations where you know there's teachers that are involved in march madness pools with kids and you know all across the board because it's such a normal part of everyday life that you see you see These these activities and what it's doing again is just it's kind of paving the way for this is an okay activity that doesn't necessarily have any risks associated with it if it's not being addressed at that time.
0: It's funny because you just saying with the Chuck E. Cheese example and you play games and you tickets and then you use the tickets to get rewards. You just made me think of a learning app that my pre K kid plays um that we started using during when her sibling was in virtual school during the pandemic and we were like okay well you can do some sort of school too even though you're not you know in elementary school yet and that's she plays different activities and then gets tickets for them and then uses the tickets in a shop and all she's done is buy lots and lots and lots of pets so you know but it's that same granted it's a learning activity that you're doing but it is that same element so that gives me something to think about. So I want to talk about this more. So we're going to talk about all things to do with video games and this overlapping and apparently learning apps are not sacred and also have these <laughs> elements in them um, when we get back from a quick break. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. Hey, Karen, what are you doing? It looks like you're doing some sort of shuffle. Oh, hi, Chrissy. I'm practicing my shuffle. Your shuffle. Shuffle. For the Snowball Shuffle, CTC's first annual 5K run and one-mile walk. Oh, yes, that's coming up. It's on Saturday, March 5th at Eagleview Corporate Center, right? Yes, you got it, and the whole family's invited. Okay, so tell me, Karen, as our CTC Development Director, what do people have to look forward to when they register, in addition to getting a cozy sweatshirt? We're going to have team contests with prizes, a hot chocolate station, raffle items, and more good stuff. Wow, I love that. I love that this event not only supports CTC's mission to empower individuals to live healthier, fuller lives, it's also a fundraiser to support this podcast, other parent programs, plus our youth hype clubs. And hype stands for Healthy Youth Positive Energy. Absolutely. CTC counts on donations to support everything we do. Okay, so where do we go for more information and to sign up? Go to runsignup.com and search Snowball Shuffle to register. And while you're there, you can also create a fundraising team. Great. And I will be sure to add the registration link to our show notes too so everyone can access it there. We hope to see you March 5th at the Snowball Shuffle. Shuffle. Shuffle, 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 shuffle. All right, so we're back. So Josh, can you explain to us how video games are like gambling or have these gambling elements in them and how these two things are connected.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's um, I know we were kind of working towards that. um, And I I think that's certainly a topic that does, it deserves some discussion and attention for sure. So I'm glad we're having the chance to do that. Uh, You know, what's really interesting about video games and and gaming and and just the, the whole activity is that there are so many areas of, Of overlap and even convergence between the two, between gambling and and video gaming, Um, even even as simple as you know, I I do several talks about video gaming, and and there's you know a a classifiable disorder which I'll talk about in a moment. Um, But you know, just our focus is really more the connectivity between gambling and gaming. Um, You know, obviously as a concerning situation, and you know, even looking as simple as a Google search of what is gaming. Um, I remember the first time I did this, I thought, wow, that, that really achieved what I was hoping. Um, you know, I think the, the, the first definition that popped up on, on the, the, the Google gave me was the action or practice of playing video games and right below it, it said, or the action or practice of playing gambling games. So, you know, really interesting that, you know, even the wording, the terminology is that connected. Mm. Um, but what we look at, you know, in terms of what they're, how they're similar, um, again, there is or there was a consideration for internet gaming disorder to be included in the DSM 5, uh, very similar to gambling disorder as a behavioral disorder. Um, but at the time, this was going back now, 2013 is when the DSM 5 was released. Uh, it was determined that this would be something that would require some more clinical research, um, but it was kind of earmarked for future inclusion as a formal disorder. But what was proposed were Criteria. And this is where it gets really interesting. Seven of the nine criteria that are associated with gaming disorder Mm -hmm. match identically seven of the nine criteria for gambling disorder. So you yeah, have preoccupation, there's an increased tolerance, there's withdrawal, mm-hmm. uh, which is obviously something, and um, just like we talked about earlier, you know, connectivity to substance use. Mm-hmm. A, lot of, a lot of words that I'm using sound very similar to, to what we hear there. Yeah. There's also elements of escape, there's elements of, of dishonesty or lying, mm-hmm. uh, there's a loss of control, and then there's the risking of a relationship. But the two differences, which I think are really interesting, are certainly ones that, even though they're different, there's still an area of overlap. So uh, the, the, the one that really sticks out to me is continuing despite negative outcomes, mm-hmm. which I think really kind of fits into every type of, of addictive uh, disorder. But also giving up other hobbies and activities, and again, very similar to gambling. As we see progression of gambling problems develop, that's where we see you know other areas of that person's life become secondary. And the same thing that we see with with gambling is, is certainly prevalent and, and prominent with the development of a video gaming disorder. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, when we look at that, um, you know, again, this was proposed criteria. Um, but what I think is really interesting is just a few years after the DSM-5 was released more work was done, more research was done. And in 2018, the World Health Organization, they um, released the 11th um, International classic this Classification of Diseases, so the ICD-11. And in the ICD-11, this is where internet gaming disorder or video gaming disorder was recognized as a, as a formal disorder. So, you know, obviously this is now going to put significant pressure on other types of of, uh, diagnoses and and that that sort of thing. And and DSM-5R or the DSM-6 or whatever will be next, I'm sure, will have much more uh, consideration of this type of situation. And, you know, it's very similar when you look at the elements involved with the development of a gambling problem and the development of a gaming disorder. The progression and a lot of the, the situations that folks are exposed to are going to be very, very similar. And what we also find, and this is what's really concerning about it is there are so many elements that involve gambling within so many video games now yeah. that, you know, you're seeing this situation that's already got this, this very, very, it, it, they're, they're, they're not like you know, strangers to each other. I mean, we're talking maybe like distant cousins at at, at farthest, right? There's a lot of of similarities between the two. And when you now have elements of the one within the other, you know, what it's doing is it's just kind of creating this this potential for a a cycle uh, of, of involvement. And the fear is that if somebody is, participating in video games they're seeing these gambling elements they're exposed to them they're participating in them that that may just continue and spiral into participation in real gambling situations, mm-hmm. which for some, again, as I've been, you know, saying throughout the uh, the course of the program is not going to be an issue, but for others, it might. Mm. So, you know, again, just kind of piggybacking on the earlier conversation about that early exposure. That's exactly what we're looking at here. And, you know, unlike legalized gambling in Pennsylvania, um, there are a ton of regulations. There's a ton of very, very strict guidelines that need to be followed by gambling organizations. With video gaming, it just doesn't exist. There's very few uh, regulations. There's very little oversight. Um, honestly, at this point, at at the at the most, there's a, a rating system uh, that that sort of helps to identify potential situations that that might not fit, you know, the age of a, of a certain, um, you know, of, of a certain child. But it, uh, it it's not much more extensive than that.
0: Can you give some examples of, for parents that might be wanting now to more carefully look at maybe video games that their kids play mm-hmm. on a regular basis, me included, when we, like, just have recently forayed into, like, allowing one of our kids to start playing a video game, and it's an app that we allowed on our iPad, that, again, it's age-appropriate their friends play it, but I, I've kind of watched it a little bit, but I, I'm not, you know, super like intimate with it, knowing every single element of the game. Like, can you give some examples of what this might look like? And can you also talk about loot boxing? Because we talked about that before. And can you sure. share what that is?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I mean, there's like the big ones, right? Like, um, you know, Call of Duty and Grand Theft Auto and some of the games that, you know, have high levels of violence and, and you know, things that you think would just be elements. And, and I'm not saying that they're not, but it's some of the games that I think are even more concerning that receive some of the labels that are, uh, much more like generic or PG or all-inclusive, yes. um, you know, like E for everyone and, and much lower grades. It, I, I think it's really concerning that within those games, it's one thing if it's rated M for mature and it has elements within, you know, that there's, you know, there's concern. It's the the games that are kind of like for everyone that having elements of gambling or elements that promote these types of of games or or really um, even take it to the level where if you don't participate, there's some level of of potential shaming that that, uh, that, uh, accompanies it. Uh, For example, you know, being asked, Hey, you know, do you want to participate in this game of chance? If you say yes and you participate, that's, going to have an outcome if you say no i don't want to participate in that there's games several games and games like you just talked about um you know where the the character that's asking sometimes bursts into tears because you don't want to participate so now the player feels bad that oh i didn't play the game that they asked me to play when in essence this was a game that they were asking me to play that had this element of chance within it Mm -hmm. um so you know it's the little things like that that add up it's the little things like that that have an impact and when you see how how many different types of games and how many different types of elements like this are within games,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, it's it's much more important to look at games across the board and really take some time just to investigate, you know, what is, what is the gameplay like? Mm-hmm. What types of in-game play is there? Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, even, even games like uh, the, the NBA 2K20 games, mm-hmm. there's a, a room that has games within The the game you would think NBA two K twenty it's just a basketball game right Mm -hmm. well there's there's in game mini games that you can play that involve elements that are very very closely resembled casino gambling Mm -hmm. slot machines and spinning wheels of fortune that type of thing so. Um, you know, having a better understanding of what the in-game elements look like. And you mentioned that loot boxes, you know, there's, there's two major components that I think are really important. Um, there's one that really fall much more within games that you would find on mobile apps, um, like, like, um, or or mobile devices Mm -hmm. where to continue playing, to unlock certain rewards, you can pay a small amount of money. So, you know, and this happens all across the board. It's not just games for kids. There's, you know, words with friends and and games that are very popular with older, um, demographics, there's in-game purchasing options. They're referred to as microtransactions. And basically what these are, it's a a real world money transaction where you're Mm -hmm. paying through your Apple account or your, your smartphone account or whatever the case might be to unlock certain features or to obtain in-game currencies. Um, You're paying for in-game experiences, basically. And this doesn't necessarily directly translate to gambling, Mm -hmm. but what you're doing is you're you're taking money and changing it into another form so that you can use it in the game. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you can do in the game is you can purchase what you talked about, is a loot box. And a loot box is basically, for lack of a better description, it's kind of like a virtual treasure chest Mm -hmm. where you're going to take some of that in-game currency And you're going to purchase something with it. The thing with it is, is what you're purchasing. You don't know what the outcome is going to be. It's completely random. And what is unlocked is either going to be something that has value to you. um, Not necessarily financial value, but it might be rewarding. It might be attractive. It might enhance your gameplay. Or it's going to be something that you're disappointed with. So, you know, going back to that earlier definition, now you're taking something of value and you're putting it up at risk right mm-hmm. you're saying okay I'm gonna purchase this thing and I don't know what it's going to be when it opens I don't know what I'm gonna get and you might get something that you find is rewarding mm-hmm. that you know lights up pleasure sensors and, and you're happy with
0: yep
1: or it might be something that you feel was not good or maybe considered a loss right so looking at that, the way we were talking about other types of gambling and other types of activity, you can see where there's that connectivity. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately with this, you know, there's a lot of situations where people are spending high amounts of money on these types of, of, of in-game elements. And, you know, when we look at different situations, you know, with, um, know peer pressure and and uh trying to stand out trying to be um you know having uh, having false sense of security or having false senses of self-esteem it's things like this that might be attractive to try to maybe uh you know enhance those things you know and Mm -hmm. say hey look i have this um you know i have this this skin which is usually like some type of decorative um decorative item that you can use to maybe enhance a weapon or Mm -hmm. uh, a costume or something like that that you know that gets folks talking and there's actually, you know, there's, there's situations that we hear about where, you know, popularity is based on how well you're playing games or how well you're, you're achieving these different types of random items, which, you know, again, that can really have a, a dramatic impact.
0: So, so what would your advice to be then, what would your advice be to then like, so, okay, so my kid who is now playing this game that it seems like an E for everyone type of mm-hmm. game to vet these these things for these types of elements and just to know, like, because as it stands, like personally, the way that we have it set up is, and you see that draw, it's a new thing and it's fun. And so he has this game that's, you know, it's a Pokemon game and because everyone plays Pokemon and it seems innocuous and, he's, and, and we looked at it and the ages, whatever. So we download this game and it, it, there's a 30 minute limit every day that he is allowed to play this game. And so, and um, are you saying I need to sit there for 30 minutes now today and watch that game and see like what's happening in it? Is that what we have to do before we really commit to, maybe not commit to allowing play, but just are really fully aware as a parent what our kids are being exposed to? Because I guess I never, I didn't know that this was such an unregulated thing at all.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So the answer, first of all, no, you don't have to sit there the entire oh, time. That. So, um, that's, uh, I was going to say yes, but, um, I, I didn't want to, I don't want to do that. <laughs> You're it's, like, it's you don't really have to sit not, there. Go cook no. dinner.
0: Go look at your own screen, find something else.
1: <laughs> no, you know, what it comes down to Chrissy, it's, it's really, um, you know, it's doing a little bit of research, you know, it, you, you, you to type into the internet, you know, you Google, you know, connections, you know, gambling elements within, the game. Okay. And it's, it, it's very clearly going to come up with, um, you know, situations where, okay, this is something that is really, really, this, this has something that I just don't feel is appropriate. And and then based on that, you know, how do you approach it with your child? So, you know, talking about it, setting limits is a great, a great step, you know, obviously um, just like just like what we see with gambling, setting limits of time, setting limits of how much involvement of when you can do it. That's a great step as well, but having conversations with them and maybe finding out more about those elements and then talking to them about saying, okay, you know, with these elements, obviously there's parental controls that you might be able to turn on. You might be able to have this is what we're doing. This is why we're doing it. Because, you know, we want to talk to you about some of the risks and this could be something that ultimately leads to, you know, and obviously an age appropriate conversation based mm-hmm. on, you know, what, what they might understand or what they might, um, how they might interpret, uh, the, the, you know, the p- participating in it or, or at least understand, um, you know, what, what the intent is. But when, when we look at some of these elements, some, some of the things can be, very, very hidden within the gameplay. So it is, it's important to, to not use that device simply as, you know, the here's, this will keep you entertained, but to actually have an active participation in, in, in how they're, they're approaching it just so that you can hopefully avoid any type of situations that, you know, might be problematic or it might be exposing them to something that could be problematic.
0: So what would you say would be warning signs among kids and teens that parents should be taking note of and those red flags that we should be keeping an eye out for?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, with this type of situation, you know, whether it's gaming or gambling, you know, again, you're you're not seeing, at least in most cases, you know, you're, you're not seeing, um, you know, situations where there's something, there's going to be physical impact, right? You know, a lot of times you're going to see behavioral Situations. A lot of times, you might see, um, you know, emotions that you know if somebody's concerned, if they're stressed, if they're you know remaining isolated, if they're anxious, whatever the case might be. Um, a lot of times, that's what is going to be your indicator with with uh, situations like this. Unlike substances, where there's going to be you know there'll be you know intoxication or there'll be you know something physical that's happening. So sometimes you have to really kind of look at it a little bit with with, with a, a finer eye. Um, you know, and looking at, especially if you know that there's high level of involvement in video games, or if there's, you know, any suspicion that there's some level of, of of participation in gambling games, you know, and again, this is where a little bit of education on the parent side. Really is helpful as well. Not necessarily just saying, okay, yeah, if you're playing cards with your friends, it's harmless. Well, wh- what kind of cards are you playing? Are you playing games where you're betting anything? And, you know, talking about it, you know, even if there's no money being exchanged, if you're still using the game the way that it would be used in a gambling setting, it's still teaching the process, right? So, you know, just having a chat about that type of thing. And then, you know, from there, starting to look at, okay, I know that they participate in this type of game. Well, why are their school grades going down? Why are they not sleeping well? You know, why is their, over, their, their overall general health seem to be suffering? Mm-hmm. Maybe in not all cases, but maybe it could be connected to involvement like this. And, you know, obviously over the course of the past two years with the pandemic, we've seen a lot of isolation. We've seen a lot of anxiety for a lot of people, games like this, Mm it was, it, it, it offers a sense of escape. Right. And, and, you know, for some people just feeling that, that, euphoric removal of negative situations it can that can be very powerful Totally. so you know again it it really just comes down to being involved and just talking and and you know having an understanding yourself about some of the some of the situations and the risks that are associated with with um you know potential problematic behavior or even Mm -hmm. any participation at all but a lot of these different types of things you know if you're if your child is you know putting gaming or other activities ahead of everything else in their life. Mm You know that that could be a problem now again i'm not saying that video gaming is a negative i mean that's a lot there's a lot of very very positive outcomes right. um that, that a lot of folks do benefit from playing video games but it's finding that balance it's having that um you know that that level of moderation where it's not having an impact in other areas of life so i mean it, i know it sounds kind of you know it's, it's the same thing we always hear is if it's you know finding that that happy spot um but just within that, you know, just being involved and in, in having an understanding of just how much time or how much energy or how much focus is really going towards this type of activity. Mm-hmm.
0: And I think the challenge for us as parents, you know, it just, and I've said this before in other episodes too, and we're actually going to have an, another episode specific to technology addiction and screen specifically, um, is just that. We constantly are in this battle of, and exactly why my kid is now playing this game of just everyone else gets to do it. I want to play with my friends on it. Why don't I get to quote unquote get to do anything? And also, like you said, through the pandemic, a lot of times that was how people stayed connected. That's how kids <laughs> stayed connected. Like we stayed connected with our peers texting and FaceTiming and Zooming. And, you know, this was a way using these you know, team games, social games was, so it's trying to find that balance and I guess staying on it to know what is a healthy balance for my kid that's going to look different for every kid and every family. But also knowing that I guess there's a fine line, but also a difference between playing for socialization and entertainment and playing due to a compulsion and feeling that pull and need to play.
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, that's the thing. And I mean, you know, I talked a little bit about the World Health Organization, right? They, Mm -hmm. um, they're the ones that that now have the classifiable disorder, uh, in the, in that, um, in the ICD 11 during the pandemic, they partnered with video game operators to create, I believe it was called the stay apart together campaign, Mm -hmm. which promoted the use of video games for kids to stay connected while staying physically distanced from one another Mm. so yeah i mean obviously a clear positive with the potential for you know, negatives, if not right. handled in a, you know, in an appropriate way. And, and that's really what it comes down to again, is just finding that balance of, you know, this is something that's going to be very, very um, beneficial in terms of, you know, staying connected with friends. And I mean, yeah, you, you did it. We did it. We all did it. Right. Everybody, right. everybody came up with a way to stay, yep, um, you know, to stay as safe as possible, but not completely lose touch with, every part of the outside world. Right. Um, you know, it, it's, it's, it's interesting because you know, 20, 30 years ago, uh, obviously we would have been in a much different situation, you know, not having video. I mean, it's going back to the days of Nintendo and no smartphones or no, you know, it would have been very difficult to stay in constant touch. Our phone bills would have been astronomical, yeah. but That's not the case. So today we have these other options. And, you know, with that, obviously there's going to be positives that come with it, but then there's, there's always that potential
0: for, for some risk. Responsible use. It's back to the tagline, use responsibly. (laughs) Um, So if someone was concerned about even, you know, their partner themselves, their own use um, or their kids, what resources would you recommend?
1: Great question. Yes. Super important. Um, so obviously we are the council on compulsive gambling. We focus primarily on gambling, but, um, video gaming obviously is something that we do continue to see more and more situations arise from. Like I talked about, there's a a clear overlap with so many elements. Um, and there's, there's not a, a overwhelming number of folks who are offering or, or, or organizations that are focusing on, video gaming addiction. Um, you know, it, there, there are certainly some. Uh, Reboot and Recover is an organization operated by Stephanie Diaz Morrell. Uh, she is absolutely wonderful. And the um, the organization does a great amount of work uh, focusing on technology addiction and gaming disorder and, and uh, other situations. There's other folks throughout the state that are doing great work and other, other folks throughout the country. Um, what is really interesting is there are counseling options available um, for gambling and this is something that is operated by a group who focuses on gambling counseling. It's the International Gambling Counselor Certification Board. Just about two years ago, they actually expanded to offer another certificate which is focused on internet gaming disorder certification. So. This is now an option where uh, there are folks who work in the field who serve as substance abuse or mental health counselors who've expanded their uh, services to include gambling and also video gaming. And um, the reason I'm talking about this is because what we do is we try to connect folks with different resources like this around this state. Uh, the state. Best, the best way to access this is either by calling 1-800-GAMBLER or by utilizing the chat and text feature that we have available to access the one the 800 gambler helpline uh, and that's available on our website which is pacouncil.com that's p-a-c-o-u-n-c-i-l dot com um, and you know what one of the options that we'll provide with callers would be either in person or virtual assistance using a counselor like i just talked about so counseling options that's a great step um, that's obviously a great um, resource for folks that are struggling and in pennsylvania we're very fortunate in that in most cases the situation is not just for the individual but also for family members so that's a, another great benefit there's also meetings that take place and other different types of um, resources so you know opportunities for folks to meet with other other folks who are struggling with situations similar to them and actually talk about their issues. And there's a lot of, uh, a lot of potential positives for, for looking into that type of, of treatment approach as well. Uh, and then there's materials. There's just downloadable materials upon downloaded material, uh, downloadable materials we have available on our website. There's other websites out there that have a, a lot of great information. Um, Cam Adair, he is a gentleman who started a, an organization called Game Quitters several years ago now. And that is a wonderful website with a lot of great information. Um, you know, tools to use, assessments, the ways to identify problems, uh, also. Other activities, other hobbies, to maybe start to incorporate things to replace the the video gaming as your sole level of interest, but using other types of activities to to sort of broaden things and 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 uh, you know just kind of keep things moderated. Um, so you know, doing things like that, looking to see um, you know what types of, of resources there are. Again, having a few resource hubs so to speak you can really access a lot of great information Um, but certainly the 1-800-GAMBLER number um, for anyone who's struggling with a gambling issue or has a friend or family member that is a 24-hour seven-day-a-week live call center Uh, it's available in a number of different languages we've you know it's entirely confidential and we've got a a, a nice broad network of folks who can offer again either in-person or virtual services around the state
0: And I'll make sure to link all of these up in our show notes so that everyone that's listening can access them easily. Wonderful, wonderful. Um, I did have one, before we get to our take action tips, I did have one other question. And just thinking of, because as I was listening to the radio, there was an ad for DraftKings and how they were talking about doing slot games, but it's on DraftKings, but I think that's a sports betting online site. Um. So just, I just was curious, have you seen, you know, at the beginning you talked about how, you know, there's a small segment of the population that gambles that ends up becoming dependent and having a use disorder with it, with the behavior. But are, is that thought that now, because you don't have to physically go anywhere and it's so much more accessible on your phones, on your laptop, Um. are, is it safe to say that the likelihood is that, these services will be more necessary that you'll see the frequency at which people are might be diagnosed with, you know, problem gambling um, go up because just the ability to access these types of behaviors is getting bigger, which means more people will do them, which means it's just the population that's engaging in gambling is growing. And also that makes it more accessible probably to people that have internet access, like kids and adults.
1: So I would say almost certainly, um, you know, and and it makes sense, you know, I mean, when you think about it, there's, um, there's, you know, uh, sections of the population that enjoy going to a casino. And then there's other demographics that, that don't mm-hmm. typically, you know, frequent brick and mortar establishments, they'd be more inclined to gamble online. And what we find is this typically focuses more on the younger, the younger crowd. Mm -hmm. Um, what we've seen over the course of the past two years, which obviously included a pandemic and a massive Mm. legalization and expansion of gambling. Mm. Um, it's been quite telling, um, We've seen in terms of revenue and participation, we've seen an incredibly high number of people uh, participating in sports wagering and in online casino gaming uh, and casino gambling, I should say, just for, for clarity. Um, you know, the amount of money being wagered on a monthly basis is just absolutely astronomical in terms of sports wagering. Uh, and what we've also seen in conjunction with that, unfortunately, on the, on the problematic side, is we've seen an increase in call volume at the helpline center. So, mm. we've nearly doubled our calls in 2021 based on what they were in 2020 and 2019. And what we've seen that's really concerning um or you know just just really eye-opening I should say. Um you know, in addition to being concerning, it's it, it's we've seen shifts in the Most problematic type of gambling named, which as you could probably imagine, was it was typically slot machines for many many years. Well, now slot machines it's very very closely, um, you know, the, the call volume closely resembles um uh, internet gambling as well. Uh, sports gambling has dramatically increased, a very very high percentage increase based on previous years, and also concerning and eye opening is the shift in. The demographic of callers based on age. Oh, okay. um, for the first time ever, our our highest call volume came from 25 to 34 year olds, which typically it was in at least a 35 to 44 or 45 to 40 uh, 54 age range uh, would would typically be the highest call volume. Right. Now it's that younger demographic, and you know when you look at the crossover, when you look at participation, when you look at you know all of the different types of, of gambling that were available, mm-hmm. you know the pandemic was really interesting in terms of timing. Um, how it all came to to be Um, you know we we had no online gambling uh, in Pennsylvania prior to the lottery was May of 2018 Mm. Uh, we didn't have online sports wagering or casino gaming until mid 2019 Mm. and then obviously March of 2020 all of the the casinos shut down sports stopped. I mean we, we really saw a lot so there was a dramatic shift to online casino gambling Uh, And what we saw were, you know, younger folks who already had their accounts set up, just kept playing. We had older folks who were frequenting brick and mortar establishments now said, well, I can't do that. So I'm going to just try it online. And then you had, you know, the countless folks who were now out of work or scared or going through some type of, you know, isolated bored, whatever the case might be. You thought, well, this wasn't really something that I would do before, but I've got time. I I might as well try it. So, you know, all of these different, these, these different, you know, swirling uh, situations that just kind of all came together and in, in, in one, you know, collective minute and a half, basically um, it's really um, it's really developed into, you know, some significant outcomes so far that we've seen. And, and um, you know, what we feel is that the likelihood is, you know, as time goes on and more, more participation takes place and revenues increase, which we've seen in other States has been the, the case. And it's obviously following suit here in New Jersey or here in Pennsylvania, rather, mm-hmm. um, you know, we're, we're going to continue to see, um, you know, helpline calls stay at, at, at a pretty significant rate. Yeah,
0: Can't say, yeah, it's just, I thought it was interesting. And I have friends that have said, you know, watching the, are bigger sports fans than my family is just seeing nonstop commercials for Um, DraftKings, and I can't remember what the other one is. And just also how it breaks, they'll give stats and say, okay, here's what you can, if you want to have the best outcome or change your bets, here's based on the stats so far. Here, update your – so, I mean, every single thing you could be taking chances on and playing. Um, So it's just something to keep in mind, again, that normalization piece that you talked about. And, again, I think for us as parents, just thinking about – the link to this risk-taking behavior and how it's linked to other risk-taking behaviors. So, you know, just to keep keep that in mind.
1: Absolutely, yeah, I mean, it really, um, you know, it it does kind of fall into a, you know, if this, then this, Mm -hmm. and then, a, you know, a a very closely overlapping comparison, you know, between different types of of activities and behaviors and, you know, the likelihood is that, um, you know, things are not happening in isolation from one another. Uh, There's probably going to be a lot of of crossover between different types of other situations and, um, you know, some of the risks that are associated with them, obviously, that that could have detrimental outcomes.
0: So we always like to end with our take action tips. So Josh, what would be one thing that you could give parents of both uh, maybe parents of younger kids like elementary and then parents of middle and high school, older kids, teenagers, um, what's one thing that they could do after listening to this conversation today around this topic?
1: I will, um, I will ask if I can give two. Um, First, first talk, talk about it, talk with your kids, talk, um, you know, simple conversations, doesn't need to be anything deep or heavy or anything like that, but just kind of talking about some of the risks that are associated with with gambling or games that have any type of element of chance within them. And, you know, again, I don't mean to talk about it like it's a bad thing, you know, and, and certainly it, it might be a situation where parents, uh, you know, enjoy going to a casino or enjoy playing games online. I don't mean for that to be construed as, you know, my parents doing something bad or my parents doing something wrong, just to having them understand that what we're doing, we're doing in a responsible way. We're doing in a way that we're protecting ourselves from, from having, uh, you know, any type of problem or taking it too far. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and that there's a response, there's a, a, you know, an appropriate age for, for somebody to do this. And you are not at that age yet. So being, you know, it's being honest with them basically. Um, the other is, and this is an important one, is really just being aware of what they're being exposed to. Um, so we talked about this a little bit with video games and some of the in-game elements, but you know even. Looking at um, you know some of the other things that we talked about, you know participating in sports pools or uh, you know there's a big campaign that the lottery is a part of. It's run by the National Council. We participate in every year, and it's about giving lottery tickets to kids who are under age, the age of 18. You know this is something that you know is widely uh, done in you know stocking stuffers and other holiday gifts. You know where okay I'll just get a you know tape a, a, a scratch off ticket to a present, and it just acts as a little extra. And and in most cases that's what it is. It's not going to turn into anything. But again, what it's doing is it's normalizing that activity and it's making it seem like there's no risks associated with it. So just really being aware of what kids are being limited or exposed to, um, you know, and if there's, you know, other types of events that might have elements of gambling, just kind of like heightening your senses a little bit to be aware and, and making sure that, you um, If they are going to be exposed, that you're also enhancing those protective factors around them by explaining and educating them on some of the risks.
0: And I think also off of that, knowing, exactly, knowing the risks so that if you start to see them having an unhealthy, maybe dependent relationship with this behavior, you're able to spy it, find it, assess it, see it early, and maybe not... I don't want to say not be surprised, but know that like, this is how these games and these, these types of things, that's what the, it's, it's what that industry is built upon is, is ideally getting you to play more and more and more and more.
1: Yeah. And, you know, even, even looking at it outside of the industry, um, in and of itself, it's just, you know, so many elements and components of, of everyday life Mm -hmm. just really sort of point in that direction of, of, you know, having the chance to win more. Mm-hmm. you know, but, the, but having a risk associated with it as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's uh, again, nothing against, you know, fundraising activities or anything like that. But um, you know, when, when you have uh, an activity that a plus B plus C is so closely Intertwined with other activities that have you know a higher level of risk or higher higher uh, likelihood of of potentially developing a problem, it's really important to kind of harness that and just um you know convey that that that, that this is something that's important to understand.
0: This was a great conversation. I learned so much.
1: I had a lot of fun. This
0: is great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for being here and doing this oh, with us. Oh, it was us. my pleasure.
1: Oh, you're kidding? No, it's it, my my. It was absolutely my pleasure. I'm, I'm so um. I'm so happy we were able to do it and and uh, and put it around. And I should also mention um, March coming up. March is Problem Gambling Awareness Month. Um, obviously, these problems exist year round, and people struggle year round. But um, I I would say, so I'm going to ask for three takeaway points. (laughs) And the third one being, have a chat with your kids, talk, have a conversation about it. Um, That was the previous tagline for for Problem gaming Awareness Month. And I think it's an absolutely excellent, um, you know, it's it's an excellent approach. It's just talking a little bit about it. There's content available on our website, as well as on the National Council's website. Um, do you know, they, 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 refer to it as a toolkit, just ways to just maybe start talking to folks about it and just raising awareness because I mean, that's what it's all about. The more, um, the more that folks can be aware, um, again, not, we're not trying to stop people from gambling. We're trying to prevent gambling problems. And obviously with underage folks, you know, there are age restrictions. So until they're at that that age, it's it's not likely going to be something that they should be participating in, um, you know, just due to the, the, the potential outcomes.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Josh. This is great.
1: Thank you, Chrissy.
0: Thank you so much, everyone, for joining us today. And please check the show notes in your podcast player uh, for links to everything that we talked about. And be sure to click subscribe or follow so that you get... All of the newest episodes, as soon as they're released, every other Monday, um, and you can also leave us a review in Apple Podcast, which is very, very helpful to us, and we very much appreciate it, because uh, it helps other parents and other people find us. So we will talk to you in two weeks. Thanks. Bye.